Hi everyone, thank you for joining Converge Online. We want you to know it's a big deal to us that you're here. We hope you're blessed by today's worship experience that's about to begin. Man, God is good. And all the time, God is good. We're so happy to see you this morning. Um, man, we're just so excited to be here and worship Jesus for who he is. And I love the fact that the gospel is unchanging. That even though we might change, God never changes. Even though circumstances might change, God never changes. Even though we might be in the highest of the highs, God's still there with us. And man, it just reminds me of the song that I've got peace like a river. Or he got the whole world in his hands. No matter what's going on, no matter what we're facing, God's got us and he's got you. And so sing this with us.
on church, sing healing. Sing that one more time, miracles. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that your word says no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We're more than a conqueror. And the fact that in our weakness we're made strong in you, man, that's a big deal. And God, we love you. We praise your name for who you are. Not, not who we are, but for who you are. You can lift your hands. You are here. 
Well, good morning, Converge Nation and our virtual family. We're so glad you joined us this morning for our worship experience. Aren't you glad that the God we serve is a way maker, a promise keeper? He is the light in the darkness. That's just who he is. It's his nature. It's his character. Uh, and what I love about the lyric to that song is this. Uh, that even when we can't see him, he's working. Even when we can't feel him, he's working. Right. He never stops. He never stops working because we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, Converge, I am excited this morning. I'm especially excited this morning because today is Pentecost Sunday. Today we celebrate, we commemorate the birth of the church, uh, a seminal event, a watershed event that happened a little over 2,000 years ago, uh, that on the day of Pentecost, approximately 40, some say 50 days after the resurrection, that Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit upon 120 faithful believers, devoted Christ followers who had gathered gathered in uh, the upper room waiting for the promise of the Spirit. Mm. And the scripture says they were all together in one accord and then suddenly like a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit descended. He rested upon them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And on that day, the church was born when they were gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm excited that today we get to celebrate Pentecost with my dear friend, my B-fam, my brother from another mother, the one, the only, the incomparable D. Rich, a.k.a. Dennis Richards, a dear friend of mine. I'm honored Absolutely. that you're with us. Listen, Dennis is not only a personal friend, he also serves as the executive pastor uh, at Christ Fellowship in McKinney. And additionally, I mean, it's such an honor uh, that Dennis serves on our board of overseers uh, at Converge Church. Mm -hmm. And I could think of no one better, man, when I, when I was praying and thinking about who could serve in that capacity, right at the top of the list was my man, my B-fam, <laughs> Dennis Richards. We're so glad you joined us this morning. Ray, thanks for having me today. First of all, as you and I talk about all the time, the love between me and you, it goes deep and wide. Deep and wide. Come on. In fact, that's how we sign off our text, deep and wide in that's all right. caps, man. That's right. And it's an honor to not only be here today, but it's really an honor to serve your church as an overseer. It's just, uh, it's a huge blessing. I love the work at Converge Church. Excited to be here today and excited what God has in store for you guys. Man, we're grateful to have you. We're yeah. excited that you're a part of the team helping us move the ball forward and advance the kingdom together. Just to put that in context, uh, at Converge Church, just in terms of our uh, leadership structure, we do have a board of uh, elders that is internal, right. uh, that helps us make uh, the decisions, the day-to-day -day decisions that impact, that affect our church and uh, our strategy, our vision, uh, the culture of the church. And then we have an external uh, board of over overseers. Uh, uh, so Dennis is one of our overseers. He serves alongside Ron Holton, who is the lead pastor of Rock Point Church in Flower Mound. And then my pastor, my mentor, Bishop Darlingston Johnson uh, of Bethel World Outreach Church in Alney, Maryland. And I thought this would be a phenomenal opportunity for them to meet you in person. We do have a picture of you on the website. <laughs> okay. So just in case you've seen Dennis on the website, this is Dennis in the flesh. He is a real person that wasn't a stock photo. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I loved it when you reached out to me about being an overseer. You mm. said, hey, that as you and Pastor Wendy talked about uh, who put there, you said, hey, we wanted people that would love us, yeah. but not be infatuated with us. Come on. They would bring the truth yeah. and have some hard conversations at time, but to love you guys and to love this church. 
You're absolutely right. And I'm glad you, you said that because that is truly the function of an overseer, someone who genuinely loves and cares about uh, the pastors, who genuinely loves and cares about the church, uh, but people who will also have the hard conversations and rebuke and correct and discipline when and where necessary. You know, a beautiful picture of that is, is uh, I like to call that account in the scriptures an officer and a gentleman, right? Where right. the centurion comes to Jesus and he says, I'm a man with authority, mm -hmm. but I'm also a man under authority. Okay. You know, Wendy and I have authority as lead pastors. However, we've chosen to be leaders who are also under authority, mm -hmm. who are accountable, not just to uh, our uh, uh, board of elders, but also to our board of overseers. And I think there's tremendous safety. Yeah, there's there tremendous safety and wisdom mm -hmm. in the multitude of counselors and also living and leading under authority, and we're glad that you're one of those guys yeah, uh, with it. us, man. Privileged fantastic, fantastic. My beefhead. <laughs> Come on. Hey, we're going to dive into the word together. As I mentioned earlier today, it's Pentecost Sunday. I've chosen for our anchor text mm -hmm. uh, uh, two passages of scripture. First one being Acts chapter 1 mm -hmm. and verse 8. It's sort of the precursor yep. to what occurs in Acts chapter 2 yep. on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is part of the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. Most times when we think of the Great Commission, we think of Mark 16, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, the Great Commission that speaks specifically to evangelism. Jesus says, preach the gospel to every creature, mm -hmm. uh, and these signs and wonders will follow you and confirm the word. It's really a commission to make converts or to be evangelistic. That's right. Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus takes it a step further. Now that you've made these converts, I want you to go a step further. And he says, go into all the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and teach them, right. uh, baptizing everyone, but teaching them to observe mm -hmm. everything that I have taught you. So it, it moves from conversion or converts to developing leaders who become devoted Christ followers. Mm -hmm. That's the Great Commission of Matthew 28. Mm -hmm. In Luke, John, and Acts, we find sort of this trilogy mm -hmm where Jesus uh, repeats and reiterates this idea that the disciples are not to go out and begin ministry until they receive this power from on high, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so here we are in this third iteration of this instruction in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And here's why we're going to have this conversation. I think it's appropriate and it's fitting uh, in light of everything that's happening in our nation uh, uh, at this particular season. Sure. Uh, not only is this nation and our world grappling with the effects of COVID-19, mm -hmm. uh, not only uh, are we seeing unprecedented unemployment and the economic uncertainty economic. Yeah. that comes with that. Yeah. Uh, uh, most recently, we've also had to deal with the unfortunate events mm -hmm. uh, that have impacted African-Americans uh, people of color in this nation, specifically uh, with the death uh, of Ahmaud Arbery, mm -hmm. uh, Breonna Taylor, and also most recently mm -hmm. in Minneapolis, Minnesota, George Floyd. Mm -hmm. uh, we believe wholeheartedly that, uh, that the church is part of God's solution Absolutely. in the earth mm -hmm. where there is injustice, mm -hmm. where there is wrong. Mm -hmm. And that, and, and we wanted to take a moment uh, to speak to that this morning uh, from a, a gospel-shaped, a gospel-framed context. It's interesting that on the day of Pentecost, that Jesus, uh, well, before Pentecost, when he's commissioning his disciples, mm -hmm. he speaks to that very thing. Right. 
Uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, because this, these are the words of Jesus. Mm -hmm. This is the great commission of Acts chapter 1, and this is what he says. He says, you shall receive power. You will be empowered and enabled when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is what he will empower you to do. Notice this, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. It's interesting, Dennis, that the word translated witnesses mm -hmm. is the word that means martyrs. Okay. You will be my martyrs. Wow. What was Jesus saying? Mm -hmm. He's, he was saying that the Holy Spirit will empower you with such great conviction that you will be willing to lay down your life mm -hmm. for what you believe. Yeah, part of the great command, right? We're supposed to love our neighbors as self, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus says the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will empower you. He will enable you to live with great passion and conviction. Mm -hmm. And then you will bring this message. Notice where, where, where they're to bring this message. They're going to Jerusalem locally, in all of Judea, regionally, in Samaria, and this is huge, cross-culturally, Mm -hmm. and to the ends of the earth. Yeah. But where I want us to land this morning, because I do believe that Jesus has given the world, the church, mm -hmm. to be his prophetic solution to the problems that we find in the world. When Jesus gives the great, the, the, this great commission to his disciples, this is the first time in the history of Israel that God is giving his people permission to minister cross-culturally. This is a defining moment. This is a defining moment, not only in terms of religion, right. not only in terms of worship, but the cultural implications. Because up until this time, mm -hmm. the Jew has only seen the Samaritan as a dog, That's right. as a second-class mm -hmm. citizen. But now, for the first time, Jesus is saying one of the reasons the Holy Spirit will come is he will come to empower you to break down barriers, mm. to break down and work through and navigate and heal racial tensions mm. and bring reconciliation. Bridge You're going to to bridge that gap. Right. You're going to come not only as my witnesses in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. not only in Judea, not to the uttermost parts of the earth alone, but also to minister cross-culturally. What's powerful about what Jesus is saying, it's not only the fact that he gives them the green light mm -hmm. to minister to people that they once despised, mm -hmm. uh, that they once had no exchanges, healthy interactions with. Jesus also first modeled it for the disciples. That's right. What Jesus is telling them is he's really reminding them of something that they had seen right. beginning in John chapter four with the mm -hmm. woman at the well who was a Samaritan. Mm -hmm. Jesus being a Jew and a Jewish rabbi should have had no interaction. In fact, it was considered taboo in that culture for a man to be alone with a woman in public who mm -hmm. wasn't his wife, let alone a rabbi. Mm -hmm. But Jesus had modeled for them what it looks like to minister cross-culturally mm -hmm. in a context that your, your culture despises. Now, that was a shocking scene, right? When Jesus had that exchange with the woman at the well. It Just really unprecedented, was. never happened. Never happened before. Yeah. But what Jesus was doing was Jesus was bridging the divide, That's right. bridging that chasm that existed culturally, mm -hmm between the Jew and the Samaritan. Yeah. Jesus went a step further, not only with the Samaritan woman, but he demonstrated this, this culture and barrier breaking gospel when he ministered to the Canaanite woman. Mm -hmm. One translation calls her the Syrophoenician woman. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Jesus says, well, no, 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 healing is the children's bread. Mm -hmm. And this lady in great faith responds and she says to Jesus, 
Even the dogs eat the crumbs off their master's table. And Jesus' response was, I have never seen such great faith in all of Israel. Mm -hmm. That great demonstration of faith didn't come from someone who was an Israelite. It came from someone who was a Gentile because Jesus was modeling to his disciples, what it looks like to minister to someone who doesn't vote like you, Mm -hmm. who doesn't talk like you, who doesn't look like you, and who may not necessarily agree with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus did it again with the centurion. When the centurion comes and pleading for his son, Jesus has an opportunity to minister to someone who who is not an Israelite, who is actually a Gentile. Mm -hmm. And once again, The centurion says to Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Mm -hmm. Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. And Jesus, once again, seeing the faith of Mm -hmm. someone who was a Gentile, Mm -hmm. who was different culturally Mm -hmm. than he was, declared, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. And what Jesus is doing in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is for the first time. He's giving his disciples permission to minister and to replicate and to repeat what they saw him doing. Because when the spirit of God comes, he empowers us to minister cross-culturally and to break barriers and to bridge the divides that often separate us. And we live in a time, we live in a day where culturally, ethnically, listen, Uh, Will Smith, I think, said it best Mm. when he said that racism isn't on the increase. It's just being filmed. Wow. Wow. These are things that have existed in our culture for so long. And I believe that God wants to raise the church up in this time, in this hour, to be his solution to this evil that exists in the world. You know, Edmund Burke said it this way. He said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And I think for far too long, for far too long, the church has been silent. Mm -hmm. The church has been indifferent Mm -hmm. when it comes to this glaring injustice called racism in all of its forms. And I think we have an opportunity this morning to, to speak to that. Yeah. I think what, uh, what God is doing, especially in Pentecost is asking us to look um, beyond just the person, to look at the person, to, to, to declare the differences, but to look at the heart. Absolutely. To look at the heart of the person, look at the heart of the man. And that's, that's the area that we need to, as a church, come together and grow so much together. It's absolutely right. That is absolutely right. Uh, You know, Dr. King, Martin Luther King Mm -hmm. said it this way. He said, the church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience Mm -hmm. of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. Mm -hmm. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. Mm -hmm. And so when Jesus is speaking to this, he's saying the church exists Mm -hmm. to walk in that moral and spiritual authority and to come and to bring the gospel into every man's world. I I know the church has been real uh, 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 adamant and consistent Mm -hmm. when it comes uh, to other ills in our society, uh, such as abortion, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, such as human trafficking. 
I think part of the struggle that sometimes we have in the brown and black communities mm. is the silence yeah. when it comes to atrocities that are committed against brown mm. and black peoples. And I think, I think there's an opportunity for us to address that mm. uh, this morning. And as we do that, yeah. as we do that, part of what I think is necessary, mm. part of the solution part of the solution because I hear so many people uh, say this and I see I, I see the comments on on Facebook in fact uh, uh, I posted a picture uh, and and uh, a guy that I've known for over 20 years mm. uh, 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 responded to my picture the picture I posted and this is what he said he says I've quietly unfriended you Wow. Yes. And, and so in my mind, I started to say to myself, well, that wasn't so quiet because uh. if you just wanted to unfriend me, you would unfriend me and not post on my comment. And then several people just jumped on him, man. Wow. Well, he ended up, he ended up deleting the comment mm -hmm. and then he sent me a private message. Okay. And he says, Ray, I'm so surprised and it's so unfortunate that you've taken a racist angle on life. Wow. Yeah. And he went on to say a few other things. And then he says, I will be praying for your future in the days to come. Hmm. Wow. He equated my willingness and my decision to speak vocal, to, to be vocal and to speak out mm -hmm. against evil. And that's what the scriptures instruct us to do. Romans yeah. 12 and 10 to hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Mm -hmm. He confused that somehow as racist rhetoric mm. and what has happened and and I say this respectfully yeah. uh, in America is that whenever there is a time when a hard conversation has to happen uh, people immediately dismiss it uh, people immediately put a label on it and they reduce it to uh, oh, oh, you're just being racist oh you're, you're just pulling out the race card again right. when the truth is we're called to be authentic and to be honest and to confront what is wrong in our and what's world. evil, right? What's evil. Yeah. And, and, and I think this morning uh, with you here, yeah. I think it's an opportunity mm -hmm. of really what I wanted to do is just to take a moment to invite you mm -hmm. into my world. Yeah. You know, just, be, just before I came over, uh, Nia uh, asked me, hey, dad, can I go for my run? Mm -hmm. Uh, so every day she takes uh, uh, Wendy and Nia both go out. They do a two mile walk or a two mile run. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Nia's on the track team at McKinney High. Mm -hmm. uh, when the footage of Ahmad Arbery uh, first uh, uh, went viral, yep. Nia saw that footage. And as we're sitting there as a family having that conversation, wow. she just started to cry. Sure. And she said, Daddy, Mommy, that could have been me. Yeah. Does that mean that I, I can't run in my neighborhood alone because somebody, for whatever reason, who doesn't think I belong? Uh, and here's what's crazy, that a random person mm -hmm. could just say, hey, you don't belong in this neighborhood, stop. And then I'm expected to comply yeah. to the wishes of some random person who now is questioning my, 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 my um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, my right. Your right is the word I was going to say. Yeah. To be in that place mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah. Uh, uh, and most people don't understand it. And here's the difficulty uh, that I want to communicate to to most of my uh, friends who are not black, mm -hmm. who are not brown, right. my Caucasian friends. Mm -hmm. And let me let me go a step further and say, let me just frame yeah. the conversation we're about to get into because it's going to become really honest and really raw. I'm going to be as transparent 
uh, and as vulnerable as possible. And I invite you to do the same. Absolutely. I invite you to do the same. Mm-hmm. Let me give you the, the context uh, from which I speak, uh, because I am originally from Liberia, West Africa. Uh, the United States became home for me and my family uh, 27 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's been a place of safety and security, a safe haven uh, from Liberia because I fled a civil war in Liberia. Uh, as an act of gratitude, I served uh, for four years in the United States Army. I, too, am a veteran. So I speak from the vantage point, first of all, uh, of someone who is grateful for the United States, that it has been home Mm -hmm. for me for 27 years. Mm -hmm. I also speak as a veteran, Mm -hmm. one who served and took the oath to defend the United States against all, listen, all enemies, both foreign and domestic. Because there are some enemies that are domestic that are internal, that threaten the the peace and the stability of our nation through racial injustice. I took the oath to defend against that. Uh, I I speak as someone who is grateful uh, that America gave me my mocha princess, my wife, Wendy, (laughs) and two beautiful children. Mm. I speak also as the lead pastor of a multicultural, multi-ethnic congregation. My children's pastor is from Brazil. Uh, uh, Before we started the message, you saw our announcer who is Caucasian. At the end of this message, you'll see her. You saw our worship team that is integrated, that is mixed, black and, and white. Because God has given us this tremendous opportunity and this tremendous privilege, empowered by the Holy Spirit to minister cross-culturally. So as I say what I say, as I speak the truth according to God's word and call out what is evil, I'm not taking a, a racial or a racist posture. I'm not taking the position of someone who's pulling out the black card. No, we're calling out what is evil. And the Bible instructs us to hate, to despise, not to tolerate what is evil. And that's what today's conversation is about because the day of Pentecost empowered us as Christians to minister, to love, and to serve cross-culturally. Let me go a step further because this message today may not be for everyone. But this message is particularly for those who claim to subscribe to a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. If this book is the compass for your life, if this is your guiding principle, the word of God, then this message is for you. What I say may not appeal to people who don't embrace the word of God as the final and ultimate and absolute truth, but that's who I'm speaking to. So I just want to be crystal clear. Absolutely. That number one, I'm speaking as an immigrant who was grateful. I'm speaking as a veteran who took an oath to defend this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I'm grateful for my family, but that does not mean that I have to be silent and indifferent to the injustices that exist because the spirit of God came upon me when I was born again so that I could minister cross-culturally. He empowers us to love and to serve People who don't look like us, who don't vote like us, who don't think like us, who don't talk like us. But he also empowers us to address what is evil. And if the church, if the church, that's you and me, 
That's all of us collectively. If we lose our prophetic zeal, all we will be is an irrelevant social club with no moral or spiritual authority in the words of Dr. Martin Luther King. So what this is about, yep. Dennis, is I just wanted to give you an invitation. Mm -hmm. I wanted to give you an invitation this morning as someone who is a white American yeah. into the world of a person of color. You know, you've told me through the years, Ray, that, um, you know, there are differences between you and I, and we both live in McKinney, Texas. Yes, sir. And, you know, you've told me, Dennis, you can go out at night and you could run and you yeah. could have a hoodie on. You could run through your neighborhood. I can't do that. Can't do that. And, and that, that's that's um, uh, astonishing for me as a white guy to even get my arms around that. We've had we've had that conversation with our 10 year old son that mm -hmm. Levi, there might come a time. Mm -hmm. When you're walking through this neighborhood mm -hmm. and you're running through this neighborhood when that happens, we've had conversations, extensive conversations with Levi about what to do when he's older, wow. if he's stopped hmm. by a police officer. Wow. Those are conversations that most people who are not black. I don't have to have those conversations with, with your my son. family. Yeah, with my family, I don't have to have those conversations. Right. You know, the thing that, you know, two scriptures as I hear you talk, Ray, that really come to my mind. Uh, you know, you talk about the word of God. Those very early pages, it says that Adam was made in God's image. Come on. You're made in God's image. I'm made in God's image. Hmm. Yes, there's differences. But God sees beyond that. He sees the heart. He looks inside. Uh, you know, we talked earlier as we were getting ready about Psalms 139. Yeah. You know, I love that passage. In fact, the, the tattoos on my right arm coming down are all about uh, Psalms 139. And there's a DNA strand on my yeah. forearm here. It's to remind me mm. that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wow. That's what that scripture says. Yeah. And then when I look at my friend Ray, mm. you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. And that's the thing. Those are the those are the things that are the same, but they're the things that different about us as right. well too, right? right. But if we look at the heart and how God has created us, and it says that we were knitted together from the very beginning of time, mm. that God has created us in his image. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think uh, we need to understand that mm. and we need to embrace that. Absolutely. That the truth of the matter is, regardless of what the outer shell looks like, we are all image bearers of God. Mm. You know, uh, uh, when the story of Ahmaud Arbery first broke, I, 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 I wrote a post and I, I spoke specifically to that. Mm. And, and uh, the whole idea just revolved around uh, the fact that it is that we 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 are often vocal about, you know, our pro-life position. Yep. We're often vocal about, <clears throat> you know, human trafficking and rightly so, because those lives are valuable, they're precious in the sight of God. But I also said that every life matters from the womb yep. to the tomb. Absolutely. Uh, and so it's disingenuous mm -hmm. to be passionate about protecting the life in the, in the womb and then be absolutely silent about that life after it exits the womb. Yeah. And so, uh, so part of what uh, my challenge has been to my Caucasian friends, my Caucasian Christian friends right. has revolved around this whole idea that uh, we should be just as passionate about life after the womb mm -hmm. as we are life in the Absolutely. womb, because every life matters from the womb uh, to the tomb. Mm -hmm. And so as we're having this conversation, part of what I want to do is just, you know, invite you to just sit where most brown and black people sit. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times people, 
I saw someone post earlier today uh, that the scripture says, mourn with those who mourn. Don't debate with those who mourn. And that's a lot of what we see. Oh, well, we don't have the full story yet. Wait until everything comes out. You don't know what they did. We don't know what happened off camera. And there's this uh, sort of uh, attitude about very real and genuine pain that most people have because they've never had that experience. And one of the things I love about uh, uh, Job's story in Job chapter two is after Job loses his, his, I mean, the things that are most valuable and most important to him, he loses his children, he loses his livestock. All he has left is his wife. The scripture says his friends came where he was. Mm And they sat with him. Just sat with him, right? They just sat with him. Mm -hmm. And no one said a word for seven days. I think what needs to happen is for the church, Mm -hmm. not just brown Christians, not just black Christians, but even our white brothers, Mm -hmm. to just sit with us long enough. (laughs) Come on, somebody. That's why you're here today. Just sit with us long enough to feel what we feel. The conversations we have to have. Yeah. That most... Uh, uh, Caucasian Americans will never have to have. The experiences of being followed around, Mm -hmm. the experiences of being uh, mistreated by the people who took an oath to protect and to serve. The fact that the majority of brown and black people are uh, uh, disproportionately incarcerated Mm -hmm. and have longer sentences for minor infractions Mm -hmm. than their Caucasian counterparts. These are the real things that most black people, most brown people, most African-Americans have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And what this is, is not just for you. It's really for everybody watching to be willing to just sit where most African-Americans sit, not to debate why we mourn, but to mourn with those who mourn. That the church can no longer be silent or indifferent when it happens to a black or a brown boy, a black or brown man, a black or brown woman, when it happens to anyone, including our Caucasian brothers and sisters. You know, Ray, part, part of my story is, um, you know, from the, and I didn't know this time I was an adult, you know, my, there was differences in our household growing up. Mm. My, my mother was a Southern woman, grew up in Mississippi in the mm. deep South, the, 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 the child of a sharecropper mm. and, wow. and, and married a Northern guy. Wow. And when, when they got together, when they started dating and when they finally, my mom moved from Mississippi to up North, it brought great controversy into right. that family. Yeah. You know, my mom was really living a John Grisham kind of life mm. and now she moves up north and my parents had to reconcile those differences and the differences they had about culture right. and differences that they had about race. And they exposed me and really my brother to very early ages. You know, my dad was an entrepreneur. He moved us to California. Mm. And uh, those were in the times when, you know, Dr. Uh, King was alive. Yeah. Uh, I remember the Watts riots when they happened in L.A. And our parents very uh, specifically telling us the differences and why that we needed to love our brothers and sisters different colors and different cultures. Huge. So, and, and being able to sit here today and just sit with you, that's mm-hmm. a great privilege just to be part of that and to live out that heritage that my parents really instilled to me that, hey, we're supposed to look beyond and look at the heart of a man and a woman. You know, Dennis, one of the things I appreciate about you the most is the fact that you're willing 
to be a part of the solution. Yeah. And, and the fact that you're here, absolutely having this conversation just speaks volumes. And, uh, and I, I think this is a great place to start. Mm. You know, as I was preparing this message, uh, well, even before I get into my notes, you know, one of the things, one of the conversations we've had is, is how we can move race relations from just what is symbolic yep. uh, and strategic to what is sincere. Mm. And, and what I've said about that is a lot of times we get together, you know, after uh, uh, you know, Minneapolis or right. after Ahmaud mm -hmm. Arbery or after George Floyd and, and we have a, a, a joint worship experience where right. churches from across the city come together yeah. and, and, and that's good. But if that's all we do, it's merely symbolic. Right. We shake hands, we take pictures, we put pictures on social media and nothing happens. We haven't moved the needle mm -hmm. because what we've done even though it is a good gesture, in my mind, my estimation is it was highly symbolic. Right. Uh, the second thing is we have to move it from being symbolic is, is that we also have to move it from being a strategic gesture. And what I mean by that is I've had, in fact, when I was in Bible college, and even after I started serving on a staff here in, in, in the North Dallas area, uh, the pastor hired me and another gentleman intentionally because he wanted to integrate his staff. He wanted it to be right. bicultural because if there's representation on staff, right. then it will be reflected in the pews. Mm -hmm. That's good. Mm -hmm. It's a step forward, but it's only strategic if mm -hmm. it's reflected on my platform and not demonstrated in my life. Yeah, you have, you have to live it out. Right? You have to live it out. You have to live it out. And so that's huge. It has to go from being merely symbolic. Right. It has to go from being merely strategic to being sincere. Mm -hmm. And how do I know it's sincere? Mm -hmm. It be, is because we flesh it out that's right. in how we live. Right. Listen, listen, Converge Church, you know this. We've got two beautiful kids. My daughter, Nia, is 16. Levi is 10. They have two sets of godparents. Mm -hmm. Uh... uh, uh Two African-American families, two Caucasian families. Wow. And we didn't do this because we're trying to meet some kind of quota, <laughs> right? Yeah. We Just, did it because these are people we do life with. Yeah. So and we're living it out. We're living it out. Yeah. The reason our church and pastors have asked me, Ray, what are you doing? Is it the CCM music you do? Is it because you have, you know, white people and black people? How do you do it? No, it happens because it's a natural extension of how Wendy and I live. That's right. It's sincere, mm -hmm. not merely symbolic or strategic. And so I, I say all of that to say for anybody who's watching, if you're a pastor or a ministry leader, that's my encouragement to you. A part of moving the needle mm -hmm. is that our lives must become integrated. That's right. Uh, listen, if, if I have a public life mm -hmm. that is integrated, a public life on the stage that right. is integrated, mm -hmm but a private life that is secretly segregated, that's not authentic yeah, and that's, that's not right. real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, and, 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 and that's, that's what's so, uh, that's what we need to challenge. That's one of the things that's beautiful about our relationship because it's just natural. It is natural. It, it's not, it's, it's something we're naturally living out because we naturally love one another. <laughs> it's not something we're trying to be strategic about. Right. We're, we're just, brothers in Christ, just brothers in Christ. And we love one another and we live out what the gospel tells us to, Come on. to love our neighbor as ourselves, as ourselves, regardless of race. Come on.
And that's what most of us need to do. Absolutely. The fact that we're doing this speaks to the fact that this is possible. If, listen, this is possible if we will allow Christ, not culture, to define our relationships. Mm, that's right. This is why that's important. Mm, yeah. We have two anchor texts. First one we read is Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Right. Second one is lifted from Luke chapter 10. It's a familiar passage of scripture that we often refer to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm. And I think as we prepare to close mm. that we will find great uh, insights mm. from this text that will speak to exactly where we are in our world today. Mm. As we invite our Caucasian brothers, mm. our non-brown, our non-black brothers to sit with us just as Job's friends sat with him, as we invite our Caucasian brothers to mourn with us mm. in our time of pain. So in Luke chapter 10, the text is going to be on the screen. Uh, the narrative picks up in verse 25, and it reads thus, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law and what is your reading of it? Mm. Jesus asked him two questions, Dennis. Mm. Number yeah. one, what does the Bible say? Mm. And how do you interpret it? Yeah. Dennis, I would venture to say this is where the wheels come off the cart. Wow. Mm. Because we see what the Bible says, mm. but then it goes through our own unique filter mm. and we interpret or we misinterpret what God intended. Mm -hmm. One of the most painful things about church history in America is that there is a particular denomination, a large denomination, and I'm inviting you to come and sit where I sit. Okay. But there is a large denomination, hundreds of thousands. They number in the hundreds of thousands who in their history and in their origin, this is how they even started, because they separated from their northern brothers mm -hmm. because they wanted to keep slaves. Wow, okay. And that particular organization will remain nameless, right. but that is their history. And this is what the scripture says. If the foundation be destroyed, what will the righteous do? From the very inception, mm -hmm. they wanted to keep slaves because they justified slavery mm -hmm. using the word of God. Wow. wow. And I think a lot of times the church has become uh, uh, has turned on itself. Mm -hmm. The church has become an organization, a body divided against itself for this reason. Yeah. Dennis, what does the law say mm -hmm. and how do you read it? Yeah. Because it's in the how do you read it that determines our response to what happens. Mm -hmm. We can grow silent and indifferent because of our interpretation and of I think what that's we've read. The church has got off of weave as Caucasians often become silent and indifferent. And indifferent. And indifferent. Instead of coming and 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 not even trying to solve, but sit, as Job's friends did, as you talked about, to sit and listen and try to see as much as I can yes. with my limited vision to see what's happening, what's in, happening in your world. Absolutely. And that's why I call this message the anatomy of courage. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to see shortly mm -hmm. where this courageous act, mm -hmm. right, of standing with our black and brown brothers begins. So Jesus continues in verse 
uh, 27, or the man continues in verse 27, and it says, and so he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's he right. was well versed, well mm -hmm. acquainted yep. with what the text said. Mm -hmm. But he understood it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Because what the text meant for him is different than what Jesus intended for the text to mean mm -hmm. when it was written. What God intended for the text to read when it was yeah. written. We'll discover that here yeah. shortly. As we, so in verse 28, Jesus says to the man, you have answered rightly. Man, you spot on. Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind vertically. Mm -hmm. Love your neighbor as yourself yes. horizontally. Yeah. You express your love for God in how you relate to your brother. Right. Jesus says, man, you're spot on. Ding, 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 ding. You got it. And then he says, do this and you will live. Remember, the question was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you already know what to do. If you'll simply do what you know, mm -hmm. you'll live. Mm -hmm. But verse 29 is extremely telling, Dennis, because this is what he says. But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, mm -hmm. said to Jesus, Who's my neighbor? So the text says explicitly, love your neighbor. Right. And he says, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Yeah. Not because he wanted to know or understand. Mm -hmm. Not because he wanted to come and sit where the hurting sat. Right. But because he wanted to justify himself. Mm -hmm. His position. His position. That's right. And what his position was, was... Surely, Jesus, you can't mean that everybody's my neighbor. You don't mean that, really. <laughs> you, you, you really don't mean that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you, there's no way you can mean that I should love everybody. Right. No, 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 no. What you mean is I'm only going to love people I'm comfortable loving. People like me. People like me. Yeah. People who agree with me. Mm -hmm. People who have who walk like me, talk like me, think like me. Surely, you can't mean that I should love everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's the second place where the wheels have fallen off the, off the cart because we have tried to justify our silence mm -hmm. and indifference mm -hmm. to everyone else's pain. That's good, right? So the, the text continues and Jesus said, okay, I'm going to teach it. I'm going to teach it. I'm going to help them understand and I'm going to reveal because this is what happens when we're confronted with the truth of the gospel. You know, I, I read somewhere uh, where a guy said, uh, you can, he said, pastors, when you preach this weekend, if you're going to address what's happening in the nation, make sure you use the word of God as a scalpel, not a sword. Wow. And if I'm honest this morning, mm -hmm. uh, Dennis, yep. when I preached the original version of this message last night, just by myself preaching. Scalpel or sword? It was a straight up two-edged blazing <laughs> sword straight out of the fire. <laughs> And after I preached that, man, I walked away in just the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I could tell in your voice when you called me. You could tell. Oh, absolutely. I was like, no, nah, that's not it. Yeah, yeah. That's not it. God had another message. He, he had another message. Absolutely. That's and God's right. message for the church mm -hmm. is to wield the scalpel of God's word. Mm -hmm. and, and so Jesus is doing the exact same thing. That's right. But the gospel is confrontational because it, it confronts the things we try to justify. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus now is confronting this guy and he's using the scalpel of the word. And this is what he says. And he, and he begins to tell this parable in verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among 
thieves. It's important to understand the context because uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was a massive descent. It was a very steep decline from Jerusalem into Jericho. It was also a perilous route because the roads were narrow. Many times they were filled with thorns and bushes, and that's where thieves hid. Now, the reason people were willing to risk the trip from Jerusalem to Jericho is because Jericho was an affluent suburb. It was a center of commerce. And so people who needed certain things, it was a commercial center who needed certain things, would, would go to Jericho and buy those things and go back up to Jerusalem and vice versa. So even though it was a risky trip, people were willing to take it because of the affluence yeah. and the opul opulence of Jericho. In fact, it's the reason that Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, made his home in Jericho. He was a wealthy man. It's the reason blind Bartimaeus set up camp outside of Jericho because there were affluent people who went in and out of the city. So here's a certain man going from Jerusalem, taking the risk of this trip to go from Jerusalem to, to Jericho. And he falls among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half Dead. This is a man in pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But notice what happens next. Mm -hmm. It says, now by chance, this was not intentional, but there was just a priest who also came down that road. And when he saw him, mm -hmm. passed him by. Yeah. Didn't stop. That's not my problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He saw a person in pain. Oh, that's just their problem. Oh, man, these black people. Oh, man, these brown people. Always getting into trouble. Why can't they get their act together? Saw the need. And notice who this was. This was a priest. <laughs> this was a representative of God. This was a servant of God who saw a man in need, but was both silent and indifferent. Didn't do anything. Didn't do anything. The next one who comes down is a Levite who was a temple worker, uh, some of whom were responsible for worship. Some of them were responsible for preparing the sacrifices, which again was an act of worship, uh, preparing the incense in the altar. So first goes the pastor who's indifferent. Mm -hmm. And here comes his worship pastor, <laughs> worship leader, right? Yeah. Probably had his, his AirPods in, man. Easy, easy now. <laughs> easy now. <laughs> indifferent to what's happening to this man. Listen, I call it the anatomy of courage. Mm. Because if, 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 oh man, here's my notes. If, here it is. If you don't feel connected to it, mm. you won't have compassion for it. Wow. Mm. And without compassion for it, you won't have a conviction about it. Mm. And without conviction, you won't summon the courage to change it. Wow. I'll say that again. If you don't feel connected to it, the priest and the Levite, you won't have a compassionate response toward it. Mm. And without a compassionate response toward it, you will not have convictions about it. And without convictions about it, you won't summon the courage to change it. Mm. And this is why I invited you into this conversation to sit yeah. with us in our pain mm -hmm. and to first of all say, I'm connected to this. Yeah. It's not just a black thing. It's not just a brown thing. It's a human thing. Mm -hmm. It is a matter of human dignity. Absolutely. And because it's a matter of human dignity, I 
and connected to it. I can't divorce myself from it. Acts chapter 17 and verse 26 says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. You know, Ray, I've had a couple of experiences being uh, across the globe a few times. Yeah. Uh, One was the first time I ever went to Haiti Mm. uh, and we were driving through one of the most dangerous parts of uh, Port-au-Prince called City Soleil. And there was a guy, uh, I I take it he was probably a Haitian uh, about my age Mm. and he was in a trash dump. He was scavenging, scavenging for whatever he could find. That, that, pain that I felt mm-hmm. is with me to this day because wow. I had that connection. Yeah. I had that compassion. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, fast forward, I was in Europe, uh, in London, sitting on the tube and there's a young lady sitting across the aisle from me, mm-hmm. probably in her mid twenties. And Ray, the, the pain that I saw in her face, yeah. the lostness I saw in her eyes, yeah. it, it, it's no different of that compassion, yeah. that, um, that connection, connection that I have sitting here with you today. Of, of, of knowing that I need to sit here and be with my brother. Wow. And I need to be able to sit and, and understand that pain and yeah. understand injustice that's happened. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. That's how we move the needle. Mm-hmm. Uh, that those who may not be experiencing the pain for themselves mm-hmm. can sit in the pain with us that's right. and help us move the needle. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great movie. In fact, I've prepared a clip that we're going to run that helps us understand the power of being connected to pain a little bit better. Watch this. I had a great summation all worked out. Full of some sharp lawyer. But I'm not going to read it. I'm here to apologize. I am young and I am inexperienced. But you cannot hold Carl Lee Haley responsible for my shortcomings. You see, in all this legal maneuvering, something has gotten lost. And that something is the truth. Now, it is incumbent upon us lawyers not to just talk about the truth, but to actually seek it, to find it, to live it. My teacher taught me that. Let's take Dr. Bass, for example. Obviously, I would have never knowingly put a convicted felon on the stand. I hope you can't believe that. But what is the truth? That that, that he's a disgraced liar? What if I told you that the woman he was accused of raping was 17, he was 23, that she later became his wife, bore his child, and is still married to the man today? Does that make his testimony more or less true? What is it in us that seeks the truth? Is it our minds? Or is it our hearts? I set out to prove a black man could receive a fair trial in the South. That we are all equal in the eyes of the law. That's not the truth. Because the eyes of the law are human eyes. Yours and mine. And until we can see each other as equals, justice is never going to be even-handed. It will remain nothing more than a reflection of our own prejudices. So until that day, we have a duty under God to seek the truth. Not with our eyes and not with our minds where fear and hate turn commonality into prejudice, but with our hearts. 
we don't know better. I want to tell you a story. I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes. I'll tell you this story. I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to yourselves. sunny afternoon. I want you to picture this little girl. Suddenly a truck races up. Two men jump out and grab her. They drag her into a nearby field. And they tie her up. Rip her clothes from her body. In a fog of drunken breath and sweat. And when they're done, they decide to use it for target practice. So they start throwing full beer cans at her. They throw them so hard. Tears the flesh all the way to her bones. Now comes the hanging. They have a rope. They tie a noose. Imagine the noose coiling tight around her neck and sudden blinding jerk. She's pulled into the air and her feet and legs go kicking and they, they don't find the ground. The hanging branch isn't strong enough. It snaps and she falls back to the earth. So they pick her up, throw her in the back of the truck, drive out to Foggy Creek Bridge, Pitch her over the edge. She drops some 30 feet down to the creek bottom below. Can you see her? Left to die. Can you see her? I want you to picture a little girl. Now imagine she's white.
The defense rests, Your Honor. Now, Dennis, we just watched a clip from A yeah. Time to Kill. Mm. Matthew McConaughey mm -hmm. had to connect that all-white jury's hearts. Wow. Right? In order for them to render a just verdict, mm. they had to be connected to Samuel L. Jackson. They had to be connected to Samuel L. Jackson's daughter, who was, I mean, violated. But in order to do that, he had to say, imagine that she's white. Mm. Wow. Until we sit where that hurting person is, mm -hmm. we'll just be like the priest and Levi who just walk past people in our world mm -hmm. who are in pain. We will not have compassion toward it. Notice the word compassion means a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. Mm accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate their pain. Wow. Mm. That's what compassion is. Yeah. It's not just this feeling of, man, I, I feel for what they're going through. I empathize with them. But it's also a strong desire to alleviate their pain. And that's why the scripture says that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes because they were as people, as sheep who had no shepherd. Wow. Because without connection, there can be no compassion. We feel nothing toward it. And without compassion, there can be no conviction. Conviction is a firm or a fixed belief about something. Notice what the scripture says. It says, then Jesus answered and said, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong verse. Uh, Jesus now talks about the third passerby hmm. in verse 33. It says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came, notice what he did, he didn't just see him and pass by. This third passerby, the Samaritan, saw the man, and notice what the scripture says, he came where he was. Mm. He went to him yeah. and sat in his pain. Mm. And the scripture says, and when he had, and when he saw him, he did what he had compassion. There was something about seeing this man that caused a connection to his pain. Mm. And because of that connection to his pain, he had compassion. Mm. And notice what compassion does. Compassion is this strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Mm. So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, mm. and he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of this man. Mm -hmm. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay wow. you. Mm -hmm. So he asked this man, Jesus, so which of these three, Jesus asked the lawyer, which mm -hmm. of these three do you think mm -hmm was a neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves. Wow. He's answering this question, mm -hmm. who is my neighbor? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And notice it was the church that was silent. Mm -hmm. It was a Samaritan who responded. Mm -hmm. 
who had been rejected, who had been despised, mm -hmm. who had been marginalized, mm -hmm. who had been ostracized. He was the one who felt that connection mm -hmm. to a man who was lying almost dead in his pain. Mm -hmm. And he responded with great conviction, but also with courage. Wow. You know what I, what stands out, and I'm, I say this because we're gonna close here. Okay. Is that we often think about the fact that, that the Samaritan poured in oil and wine mm -hmm. to heal, uh, to be salved to, to this man's wounds. Right. But he went a step further and he put the man on yes. his animal, his beast of burden, whether it was a donkey or a horse or... He traded places. Mm. Wow. And not only that, he took this man to an inn. He went the extra mile. He did something that he didn't have to do. He poured in the oil and wine, but that was not the only thing. This is what he did. He used his influence mm. and said to the man, listen, I'm going to leave you with two denarii, but here's the deal. Whatever you need after I leave, I'll take care of it. I'll you. be back to take care of it. What that speaks to me is the fact that maybe this was not the first time this Samaritan had been to this inn, mm -hmm. That's right. but he leveraged his relationships mm -hmm. to make a difference. And what I'm saying to you as my white brother yeah. is as you sit with us, help us move the needle mm -hmm. by going a step further and summoning the courage to use your influence to have these tough gospel conversations mm -hmm with people with influence who can make the difference. Right, thanks. It's been an honor just to be able to come as you talked about and to sit with you. Thank you. My black brother, Amen. my African-American brother, and to be here with you. Thank so, you for being my B-fam, my brother from another mother. <laughs> the love is deep and wide. Deep we pray wide. that you are encouraged by today's message. God bless you. If you were impacted by today's worship experience, we would love to hear from you. Maybe today's message was exactly what you needed to hear, or you prayed the prayer of salvation for the first time, or you want more information about joining our virtual family. Please email us at info at weareconverged.com and let us know how we can serve you. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give online safely and securely at www.weareconverged.com slash give. Or you can text 77977, send Converge Give and the amount. Finally, we would love to stay connected with you virtually. Join us Tuesdays at 7 p.m. for Converge Her Bible Study, Thursdays at 7 p.m. for Converge Men Bible Study, and Sundays at 1 p.m. for Converge Students Bible Study. All this information is available on our mobile app. To download it, open your app or Play Store, search Converge Church Plano and install the app. It's that easy. Thank you again for joining us for today's worship experience. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.